Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Professor Sancia. Thank you so much for joining us in the podcast. I would like to ask you uh, how you'd like to define yourself uh, for the audience for the first time listening to you. Sure. Well, first, thank you very much, uh, Marwa, for inviting me. I'm really excited to be on this podcast today. Um, I'm Cynthia Sung. I'm an assistant professor in the Grask Lab at the University of Pennsylvania. My group works in a lot of compliant mechanisms with a particular focus on origami robotics. And we're really interested in how a combination of compliance and reconfigurability can allow a robot to perform better. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, yeah. So I'm curious, how was your childhood? We know that childhood plays a significant role in how we think or how we become the future. So how was your childhood both? Um, my childhood, I think, was probably pretty standard for an engineer. I really liked to work with my hands. Mm -hmm. I really like to fiddle with stuff. Um, my family has this story that they like to tell about when I was little that I think is really, I guess, the start of my interest in origami-inspired design, um, that there was one time where I was bothering my mom who was doing work and she told me to go do something constructive with myself. And being a five or six year old, I had no idea what constructive meant. So mm -hmm. I immediately thought of construction paper, craft paper, right? Yeah. Um, and so made a huge mess with the construction paper. And uh, she came in and she showed me how to fold, uh, how to fold uh, origami cranes, how to fold a lot of different stuff. And that I think was really what started me on being really interested in paper and folding and reconfiguration and how sheets that look like they're just flat objects could really become really interesting 3D objects. Um, and I think that has really brought me to where I am today. Um, and ever since then, I've just been fiddling with my hands. That's wonderful, yeah. So do you remember what is the first system you actually build since you have this huge inspiration since a child? What's the first system you build that allowed this concept? The first uh, origami system or yeah. the first robotic system? The first robot and also first origami, both of them, yeah. Huge pencilers. Well, so the first robot I built was in high school. It was part of some competition. Our school actually had a robotics team. And um, so we had this challenge where we were supposed to build a robot to hang up clothes, I think. Um, so we built this arm with a gripper and it didn't work very well, but we were able to hang up some clothes on a clothesline. Um, and that was really inspirational for me um, because I was on the mechanisms design team for that robot and learned a lot about different types of linkages and how you might design a linkage to get an arm to move in a particular way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until grad school that I actually started integrating this origami inspired idea with robotics 
um, when I was doing my PhD with Daniela Roos at MIT. And we were thinking about printable robots and how we could make robots very quickly. Um, and folding came up as an assembly method that could be very useful for doing that. So at that point, I started actually thinking about origami mechanisms and we built these really interesting joints for being able to make different types of origami kinematic structures. Um, and so that was in my PhD. That's wonderful. I think uh, I find you very passionate about design and especially as you mentioned uh, in your talks before, intuitive design. And when you tell the story, there's something special about you, how you think about the approach of designing like weird structure or new, like innovative structure from the paper or the sheets. If you can tell us how this approach in your mind that I have to design that in that way that could be interesting. Is it in, there's just any approaches you can tell us about that or student maybe you'd be curious about this design approaches. Sure, I love that you called them weird structures. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think at the end of the day, what I was really excited about was the idea that a flat sheet of paper could turn into a really interesting 3D object. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the way we think about design is not so different from the way a normal engineer would think about mechanism design, but there's just this additional constraint that everything that you fabricate uh, needs to be able to lie flat on a sheet of paper. <clears throat> All right, so at the end of the day, an origami mechanism is a linkage mechanism and folds are like rotational hinges. You have this additional compliance because a paper can bend, right? And so it's not exactly like a rigid mechanism, but the way that you could think about the kinematics of an origami design is a lot the same way you might think about a linkage with rotational hinges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, do you have a different views for soft robotics in general? Um, yeah, when you work and what you're doing, do you think you have different views or yeah, or do you think that's just something is still missing in, in the soft robotics field? Um, I think that there's been a lot of really great advancements in soft robotics and we still have a really long way to go. Um, I see my work is trying to help push forward the advancements that have been happening in the compliant mechanism side of things. Um, and there's a lot of really interesting questions as to how you might integrate these amazing smart materials people have been developing as actuators or sensors, how you might uh, leverage compliance in different uh, robot designs, how that interacts with the controller and the planner for the robot. I think we still have a long way to go in trying to figure out how all of these really amazing advancements come together to make a really effective design. Something that I've been thinking about recently is because we have this focus on these um, origami structures, what oftentimes we're thinking about is really the interaction between the rigid components and the compliant components of the design because you can really think about the folds as compliant and the faces as not completely rigid but semi-rigid and so there's a lot 
of benefit you can get in a robot design by combining compliant parts with rigid parts. And I think a lot of the way forward for robot design in the future is figuring out, well, when do we actually want to take advantage of compliance and soft materials? And when do we want to take advantage of rigid and hard components? And how do we integrate them together into a robot that can do something amazing? Mm -hmm. I really like this point, this is an excellent point. And I'm curious to ask you in that case when uh, you're working and design the organic structure with the material. And yes, you're right. For example, we still figure out how we can combine this multi-material that we can have interesting features, mechanical feature, for example. So when you can do that with different material, is this any constraint for you that what kind of material can hold me so that I can achieve what I imagine intuitively with organic structure? How does this process go hand-in-hand hand with the material and what you thought about the structures for organic design? Sure, how we think about materials? Um, yeah, for combining with organic structure, multi-material, for example. Sure. So we think about the origami structure in a couple of different ways. First is, um, how do we think about the geometry and the motion of the structure independent? of material and that's usually the first step. And in that case, we do a lot of prototyping with paper, see how these things move. We create some models for what the structure, what shapes the structure might turn into when you add folds in different locations. And that's usually material independent because you can sometimes abstract away material properties in order to do that analysis. <clears throat> of course, that doesn't always reflect reality. So then when we think about what materials we actually want to create these origami structures out of, it really becomes a question about um, what I mentioned before, where do we really, really want the structure to be compliant? Are there certain faces that we modeled as rigid, but we don't really want them to be rigid? Are there faces that really need to be rigid? And so that comes down to the mechanics and the material properties of the structure. And so that way we can place materials in different locations based on, for example, what the stiffness needs to be in that area or the damping needs to be in that area. I think beyond that, well, then when we think about the robot design, there's this additional question about actuation and sensing. And so we've done some work in self-folding structures. And in that case, the actuation is in the folds, right? How do we fabricate the structure so that when you heat it up, it'll self-fold, or when you apply magnetic signal, it'll self-fold. And in that case, it really comes down to what are the control signals or what, um, what kind of precision do we need in that material? Mm -hmm. I think going forward, there's also an interesting question for how we can fabricate and integrate all of these materials together. We haven't thought too much about that question yet because a lot of the materials we've been using are available off the shelf. Mm -hmm. But with all of the advancements in soft materials nowadays, figuring out how to integrate those materials into our laminate structures will also become very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to ask you, um, in that case, do you have any kind of uh, maybe in your mind, source of certain design or structures, but in reality, you can't achieve that. Maybe constraint for the material, or 
is there any kind of experience you had that I, I think I have to do that, but when you come to reality, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't easy or it didn't work out. So in our lab, we've recently been starting a project on trying to get high amounts of, um, of power transmission. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times with compliant robots, soft robots, and origami robots, you end up with a structure that it cannot actually carry that much load or cannot actually transduce that much power. And that means that you end up with robots that are either very small or um, just can't do very much work, right? Um, in contrast, if we look at a lot of the needs for robots, the robots need to do work. And so recently we've, in a collaborative project with um, Dan Kodacek and Xu Yang at Penn, um, and as part of a larger project between multiple universities, we've been thinking about how do we get these soft and semi-rigid structures to be able to transmit power and be able to match some of the power capabilities of rigid robots, but still using these soft and semi-rigid designs. And I think that's a challenge that we're still trying to figure out the answer for. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. And maybe I'm curious to you, do you think maybe, um, maybe a student can ask us a question, do you think maybe topology optimization or generative design could be helpful in that case, or you don't think that? for the designing or expectation that, that could help in, the, in achieving the desired goal? No, I'm a huge fan of topology optimization. I think that the work being done in optimizing structures and generating structures computationally is, um, is great. Actually, um, our group does do some work in, in computational design um, and we, I wouldn't say where our techniques are necessarily topology optimization, but we're, we're trying to figure out how we can generate robot designs to achieve certain tasks. Mm -hmm. I think there are some limits um, in that the simulations that are being used in these techniques are not always completely reflective of reality, that there are certain things that are very difficult to model, right? Like friction is very difficult to model. There's noise, the fabrication may not match your actual real robot. There's all sorts of different effects that we haven't even figured out what they are yet that aren't captured in the simulation. And so what comes out of an optimization might not be exactly what you want to build, but I do think we can take a lot of inspiration from what these optimization and generative approaches produce to help us create better robot designs. Mm -hmm. That's great. And may I ask you what you think could be missing when you look to what we have in tools now for maybe in simulating or the topology optimization approaches and also use computational also geometry. So Jesus, what could be still missing from your experience? And you think, yeah, maybe we have to do that to match what we have in simulation to some extent that could help really designing something uh, near what we have in simulation. Uh, that's a hard question. I think there's a lot we just 
don't know about. So the issue with, I think with a lot of simulations and models is that you need to know a lot of parameters about the world, about your design in order to get a accurate model, right? You need to know what are the material properties of the material that you're putting through your topology optimization framework. You need to know what the environment is if you want to actually simulate your robot and you need to know it with a high degree of precision. So I don't think there's necessarily, I don't know that there's anything necessarily missing in the physics of these simulators or models. I think the physics and the software that have been developed are extremely powerful and they're very useful. I think there's just a lot that we don't know about the world or that we can't characterize or very easily write down that results in errors in the simulation or model that, yeah, not, we, that, yeah that create these errors. Yeah, I agree with you, yeah. And, and may I ask you what could be challenges do you think uh, in your lab, for example, challenging still really, yeah, so challenging. And you're curious about working in the research lines. So, um, so as I mentioned, a lot of the uh, questions that we've been thinking about recently are about reconfiguration and about how we can change the morphology or the shape of a robot in order to do a task better. One of the examples I mentioned was this effort we're trying to think about um, <clears throat> power, right? How do you get a compliant mechanism to transduce enough power for a legged robot? And one of the interesting questions there is the performance of this robot is really going to highly depend on the environment, right? Um, it's gonna highly depend on the robot design. It's, and and different designs are going to be better at different environments. And so when we think about the robot design, when we think about whether we can use computational approaches to help us model the robot design, a lot of the things we're also thinking about are, well, are there certain designs that will work better in certain tasks than others? And how do we think about reconfiguration as a way to help the robot do better at many different tasks or many different environments. So if the robot is going to run on concrete versus gonna run on sand, it's pretty well known in the controls community that you might want a different leg stiffness, right? Or you want might want different damping. And is that something that we can integrate into the robot design so that it's not so power hungry actually, it's just an inherent part of its mechanics. Um, those are the sorts of challenges that we're thinking about right now, right? How do we not necessarily reconfigure into any possible robot configuration, which has been really, really interesting theoretical question, but rather how do we look at a robot's compliance and its ability to change its shape, its ability to change its stiffness, or its ability to take advantage of different geometries to target particular performance metrics that it might want to achieve on a wide variety of different tasks. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So maybe I'm curious to ask you about the trade-offs, for example, in, in the process itself. For example, we ask a question whether we have to select the material based on better functionality or easy fabrication. When mm -hmm. it comes to you, what are the maybe the trade-offs that you have and you can't avoid it? So there are always trade-offs in um, how complex your design can be and how much and how easy it is to fabricate, right? Um, I think that's a huge trade-off that we deal with every day, particularly when it comes to origami-inspired and reconfigurable robots, that you can create a very interesting mechanism that can do a lot of different things, but it's not gonna be very easy to fabricate. And once you actually fabricate it, it may not actually work as well as it did when you modeled it, All right? So there's always this trade-off between the complexity and the number of degrees of freedom in your structure and how easy it is to build in real life. Um, I think that's a very, that, that's, that's one that we, we think about and I think all roboticists have to think about all the time. Mm -hmm. um, there are also interesting trade-offs in what <clears throat> I was mentioning before on the, where do you put the rigid materials versus the soft materials. Um, we're currently exploring combinations of, you know, rigid links versus compliant beams versus, you know, different types of lattice structures. And when you use like a rigid material, you get better force transmission, you get better precision. When you use a compliant mechanism, you get more degrees of freedom, you perhaps get more robustness. And that's also a trade-off that we think about when doing design is where do we want to take advantage of certain of these material properties for whatever it is the design needs to do. Mm -hmm. That's also a very excellent point. So in case about the, the paleo-inspiration, do you ever have you know, like find something in nature very inspiring in terms of structures? And when you look at that, what kind of maybe which level of understanding you have to go for, how this behave or how, how I can replicate that. How you go to get to a structural level, what we, whatever inspires you, if you have any example in nature. So right now we're very inspired by a lot of legged creatures for our legged robotics project. Mm -hmm. And we're also inspired by, um, by squids for an underwater project that we're doing. A lot of times the bio-inspiration that we look at has very much to do with the application areas that we're considering. Um, and the level of understanding that we try to achieve for these systems I think it depends. Um, at the beginning, for us, the most important part is to understand the physics and the underlying mechanism um, for whatever part it is that we're interested in. So for example, um, right now we're building this uh, jet-propelled underwater robot that changes its shape and its internal volume to um, 
to create a, a jet to make itself move forward, right? Very similarly to a squid's escape maneuver. Mm -hmm. In this case, we've done a lot of reading on jet propulsion, on you know how the squid actually achieves this maneuver, um, what are the different types of geometries and um, or shape changing rates that the squid uses for a lot of different types of squid. And that has been really useful in helping us to inform our design. But I don't think it's the end of the story. I think there's a lot more to explore and a lot that we don't know and that sometimes even biologists don't know. And the more that we know about these structures, the more we can learn about better ways to create our design. But it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. That's very inspiring, yeah. So maybe I'm curious to ask you if you can tell us about what's actually geometric nonlinearities, because I think many uh, episodes, few guests just, just stressing the point how we can couple the geometric and material nonlinearities so that we can have interesting information. And it could be also replaced the traditional control techniques. But still, still not many people in the community agree with that, or maybe still not see this kind of uh, vision by some researcher in the field. Since you're working in geometry and you're really interested in that, how you can get or extract this beneficial uh, geometric nonlinearities? So the way I think about it is that we use geometric design in order to create nonlinearities, right? Yeah. I think there's a lot of work in linearizing systems, which has really gotten us very far in terms of creating new designs creating really good controllers, um, creating really good models, um, but they don't capture the whole performance of the system. And we, we try to force the system to follow whatever linearization that we've created um, because that makes it easy to model and because it makes it easy to control, then we lose a lot of the potential of the design, right? So if you take advantage of the nonlinearities in a system, then you can potentially get a really, a lot of complex behavior for free. Um, and what we're really interested in is then, well, how do you tune the geometry of a structure or how do you choose the mechanical properties of a structure in order to get the particular nonlinearities that you want? I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. And do you think about uh, how we can couple that with material nonlinearities? If you speak about uh, what you say, do you think there's something different or can, could be changed significantly in the, in the performance? If you couple that with the material itself as a nonlinear material? Sure. I mean, nonlinear materials are extremely important, especially in soft robotics, right? You have if you have a linear material that you can model as a linear spring, that's great, right? That you can create all sorts of really interesting structures. But if you have materials that are nonlinear, like softening materials, you know, materials that become softer as you stretch them more, or you know, materials that become harder as you stress them more, um, there are materials that um, increase in damping as you stretch them more, right? There, these materials allow you to have the robot's performance change automatically as it's moving, right? So for example, 
if you want to um, create a robot that's you know has multiple different soft components, but you want them all to kind of come to an equal level, right, an equal distance or equal amount of compression, and you have this material that increases in stiffness as it compresses, then that's an inherent controller in the system, right? As you compress the structure, different amounts of force on different areas of the robot are going to induce different amount of compression, but because the material properties change as the material compresses, then eventually all of the compression might balance out, right? And so this is a way, by, by using nonlinearities in a material, you can embed some sort of mechanical intelligence into the structure itself, right? And not have to put an external controller on top of it, which reduces your control complexity. It increases your modeling complexity, right? But it does allow you to put some sort of very interesting behavior and, and internal control into the robot body. Yeah. Thanks a lot for mentioning that. I think you say it in a very simple way and concrete as well. So thanks a lot for saying that. Uh, I'm curious about what could be the technological roadblocks for you. And you speak about organic structure. What could be the technological roadblocks? Could be in short term and longer term. Technological roadblocks for um, for origami structures. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot um, of really interesting questions in origami robotics that we still need to answer. Mm -hmm. um, one is one that you brought up already about materials. So how do we decide what materials go where? When do we decide to take advantage of certain materials? Um, because one of the reasons that we're particularly interested in origami structures is not just because they're an interesting design problem, it's because they make fabrication a lot easier because you can fabricate everything as a 2D sheet using existing planar fabrication technologies. And you end up with these complex electromechanical structures that then you fold into their 3D shape and they're ready to go. Um, but when you do that, then there's still a question as to, well, what materials do you want to use? What goes where, right? Just like with any robot design. And so I think that's one of the big questions that we're gonna be thinking about is, well, if we do have access to a wide variety of materials, which ones do we use? There are additional fabrication constraints in that because we're trying to put everything into a 2G sheet, there are certain ways that you need to layer these materials together or ways that you need to fuse these materials together in order to be able to get the robot to fold because we're not using traditional assembly techniques. We're not using screws and bolts. We're not using, um, welds or you know other techniques we're really fabricating everything as a sheet and so there's a fabrication challenge um, aside from that there i think they're really interesting questions that are opening up in control so when we're creating these structures we end up with these really high degree of freedom structures there are a lot of all of these folds in the sheet they, they can move right they can change their angle some of them are dependent on each other some of them are coupled and some of them are not right so plus in addition we have we're making these out of sheets that ultimately can bend and so we have a lot of degrees of freedom in these structures and so i think similarly to a lot of the rest of the soft robotics field there's an interesting question here which is how much actuation 
do you need to put into the design and where do you put that actuation? Because now that we're fabricating everything as a 2D sheet, you can really think about distributing actuation all over the sheet and adding in that actuation, assuming we can solve the fabrication challenge, is not really any more difficult than adding any other material, right? Mm -hmm. And so now, if you think about the possibility of distributing actuation, distributing sensing throughout the entire sheet, then coupled with the design of the fold pattern, we can think about clusters of actuators that will create certain types of motion or clusters of actuator that when they activate, they'll change the stiffness of the device. Um, and so I think one of the things, one of the areas that I'm really excited about for looking at origami inspired design is this ability to distribute actuation and sensing and control throughout the entire structure to take advantage of the geometry and the fold pattern that we've created. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting as well. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, so we're going to end and have a few questions. The first one is, um, what could be your aspiration and in terms of what you're doing, and also in general, what's your aspiration for soft robotics field and for yourself as well? My aspiration. I'm I'm just very excited to see where the field is going to go. I, like I said, I think there are a lot of really interesting technological questions that are opening up and that we can, that we now have the ability to answer, right? With all of these new advancements in mechanisms and fabrication and materials and control and modeling, right? There are all of these new questions that are opening up. How do we take advantage of soft materials? How do we combine them with rigid materials? Where do we put actuation? Where do we put sensing? How do we distribute the controller either in the robot's, I don't know, mm -hmm. centralized plan or throughout the robot's body? How do we take advantage of nonlinearities, right? Which you mentioned. Um, I'm very excited about all of these questions. And I think that as the field moves forward to answer these questions, we're going to start seeing a lot of really new functionalities, a lot of really new capabilities out of robots that combine a whole bunch of different techniques into some very interesting structures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, yeah. And do you think we are intellectually inclusive in the field? Uh, the first aspect that um, we have different ideas and different approaches, and sometimes there's severe competition for funding for certain ideas. Do you think we are intellectually inclusive? I like to think so. I hope so. I think that in robotics, it's really important to be intellectually inclusive. I mean, all of the work that we're doing right now is extremely interdisciplinary. Um, all of the labs in robotics are extremely interdisciplinary. Like my lab, we work with people in controls. We work in people in material science. We work with people in mechanics. Um, collaborations are extremely important for all of the work that we do. And I think all of the work that all roboticists do. So it's important for us to be intellectually inclusive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I'm curious about being uh, like a woman in the field and you're very smart and intelligent. So do you think it's still you feel, yeah, there is, yeah, you feel comfortable being in the, in the competition sometimes since we don't have a lot of women in the field or you don't feel that? I like to think that in the field, we're all primarily driven 
by the science and we're primarily driven by driving forward the robotics field. Um, and so when we're working on the engineering or working on these scientific questions, I don't really think too much about being a woman. Um, I do realize that there, that this is a male dominated field and that um, there are women who are trying to get into the field. And I do try to serve as a good mentor for them and be a role model for them. Um, but I think that when it comes to the science and it comes to driving the technology and the research forward, that the research comes first. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, yeah. And um, I'm curious to ask you how we can ensure that what we develop in soft robotics is beneficial to humanity as a whole. We ask this question because yeah, some people argue that most of the research done, maybe not feasible yet as a, as a short term. And uh, yeah, we need something beneficial. How would you answer this question? I think that soft robotics has a lot of potential to be extremely beneficial. Um, mm -hmm. I, when the field was just starting up and even now as it's really expanding a lot, there's this idea that having a soft structure can be safer, it can be more robust, um, it can potentially give you different types of behavior than rigid components do. Um, and so all of these advantages give soft robots the ability to have an impact on a lot of different areas like human-robot interaction or you know, this underwater project that we've been working on where compliance is really the key to getting this robot to swim the way it is. Yeah. Um, and that project has implications for for um, ecologists or people who want to do ocean monitoring, right? So I think the fact that soft robots give you some technological advantages open up new application areas um, mm -hmm. that could potentially impact human society. I do think that a lot of the people that have made those comments are probably highly influenced by the demonstrations that are being shown right now. A lot of cases, these are technological demonstrations, right? They're not, or they're, te they're technology demonstrations. They're not mm. necessarily always in the context of a particular application. And part of the reason for that, I think, is that we still haven't gotten to the point yet where we've answered questions about, well, what is a design that could make a soft robot compete with its rigid body counterpart in terms of the performance that we're looking for. Because rigid robots have been in development for decades, right? And soft robots are comparatively, the soft robots we're talking about today are comparatively new. And so mm -hmm. I think the demonstrations that we're seeing um, are compelling from a technology standpoint. And we need to think very deeply about questions about design and how we integrate all of these new innovations together to create these applications that soft robots have the potential to work really well in. Yeah, yeah that's a good point, yeah. And do you think ego is important for you? Um, I think ego is important in moderation. Mm. So 
one one thing that is very important in research is that we don't know what the right answer is, right? We have all of these really interesting questions and these really interesting challenges and nobody knows how to answer those questions or nobody knows the best or the right way to answer those questions. If we knew those answers, it wouldn't be research, right? And so having some self-confidence and knowing enough about the underlying science or the underlying uh, technology and realizing that as a researcher, you can use that knowledge to come up with a way that might help you solve that challenge is important. Um, so I think having ego to the extent that you can do that self-evaluation and make those sorts of decisions is, is extremely important. I say in moderation because it's also important in this sort of interdisciplinary field to talk with other people and collaborate and learn new ideas. Mm -hmm. And so also being open to other people's comments or other people's criticisms is, is important. But I think ego is also a part of that because you need to be able to take in those comments and, and integrate them into your, to your own knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And which book inspired you? Which book? Yeah. Um, let's see. I don't know that there was any single book that inspired. Oh, wait, no. I take that back. Mm -hmm. um, when I was uh, in high school, I read Robert Lang's Origami Design Secrets front to back many times and that was a huge inspiration for me mm -hmm. um, knowing that you could actually take mathematical techniques and apply them to something that most people would consider an art and at the time I didn't really know anything about engineering but I think that idea has really stuck with me throughout mm -hmm. my entire engineering training because a lot of times when people think about mechanisms design or you know, what it is that engineers do, they, a lot of it is kind of an art, right? You take a lot from your experience and you say, well, here's a new application. How do I take what I know and change it in certain ways to get whatever new robot it is that I want to create? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is intuition and a lot of that is creativity and, and something that most people would consider art, right? Um, but that, I think that book was really the start of me thinking mm -hmm. that we could really formalize those ideas. And then as I went through my engineering education as an undergrad and grad student and learned all of the underlying mathematical models for all of the systems that we're actually designing, um, I, I just became more, more inspired that we could formalize engineering design, right? And um, and think about it in a mathematical way. That's very I think that was that was the start. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and what could be the most important quality you have gained and you have to maintain? In a Kerime, for example. The most important quality, I think, is curiosity. Mm -hmm. Or um, what I was mentioning before about being open to new ideas and 
taking in comments and criticism from other people is extremely important, not just in robotics, but in research in general, I think. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've learned and that I try to teach my students is that just because a subject does not fall within your particular area of interest doesn't mean that it's not worth it to go learn about it. Um, mm -hmm. So if there's a seminar happening that's not on origami inspired design, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go listen to the talk, right? Or just because there's another group next door that doesn't work on underwater jet propelled swimming, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go find out what it is that they're working on, right? I think being intellectually curious and learning about things that right now maybe have no relevance to the work that you're doing is really important for helping us to think about how our work connects to other fields of science, other subfields of robotics. And actually those connections might actually produce really interesting collaborations in the future. Mm, that's a really excellent point. And also good advice, yeah. And lastly, what was the best advice uh, was given to you and was it like changing for you? So the one I just told you was advice that was given to me by my advisor, that yeah. we should be open to other fields um, and learn about other topics other than what it is that we, uh, the particular topic that we're working on. Yeah. Um, I think if you're looking for another one, um, the other big piece of advice that has been important to me is uh, that there's not one right answer that every problem has multiple ways to get to the solution and i think in research that's really important because we don't always know the answer and as engineers we really like the idea of optimization and efficiency but in research there's really no way to know what is the best or most optimal path to the solution um, because if we knew then we would just do it, right? Um, so I think it's important to keep in mind that there are many different paths to get to the solution to these problems. And as a field, we're all working on different paths and hopefully we can all get there together. Yeah, that's also a good point, yeah. Do you have any final words to software robotics community would like to say? Um, no, I think we covered a lot today. I wanna thank you for having me on, I think this was a really great discussion. I'm really excited to see all of the new advancements that have been happening in soft robotics. I'm really excited about all the ways that we can work together as a field to create new technology and new impact on human society. So thank you uh, once again, Professor Sansi. I think you're doing a really great uh, research line and also very inspiring. And uh, I would like to thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you.